listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. Hosted by high-stakes headhunter, author, and professional speaker, Scott Love. This is the Rainmaking Podcast, and my name is Scott Love. Thank you for joining me. If you're in the business of getting business, then this is the show for you. Each week, I bring on experts, authors, speakers, legitimate, credentialed, Experts on the topic of rainmaking and client development and related topics to help you get more business, better business, and eventually all the business from your clients. Today, our guest is Julie Fleming. Now, Julie has a very narrow focus on business development to attorneys, but even if you're not an attorney, still listen because there's some fantastic ideas that we're going to be talking about today. She's the author of three different books, and I've actually put some of the links to her information on the show notes, so make sure you check those out. The books are The Reluctant Rainmaker, Seven Foundations of Time Mastery for Attorneys, and Legal Rainmaking Myths. This is going to be an insightful and engaging show, and I hope that you listen to it more than once. Also, I appreciate you listening to this show because you've made it a top 3% in the world podcast. I just found out this past week I could find out where I rank with relation to other podcasts out there, and we're in the top 3%. So thank you for making that happen. If you have a minute, if you know of other prospective guests, send me a note. Let me know who they are. I'd love to have them on the show. And if you don't mind, go to iTunes, or excuse me, actually known as Apple Podcasts, find our show. And if you could give us a glowing five-star review, I'd really appreciate that. If there's a specific show that meant a lot to you, make sure you mention that in the show notes. Thanks again for listening. Here's Julie Fleming. Hey, this is Scott Love. I've got Julie Fleming with me on the Rainmaking Podcast. Julie, thanks for joining me today. I'm delighted to be here. Thanks for having me, Scott. Now, this is great to have you on the show again. You were on a different version of my podcast show years ago, and it's exciting to see how you've been able to adapt and manage your career during COVID. And so our topic today is stormproof business development, building a profitable practice in times of upheaval. And let me kind of start with some definitions here. When you talk about stormproof business development, what does that mean exactly? So COVID obviously was sort of the category five hurricane globally. Yeah, right, right. It hit us. We didn't really know it was coming. And it hit hard. It changed everything almost literally overnight. Right. Now, fortunately, that's the kind of thing that most of us may not even see during the course of our practice. If we do see it, as we have with COVID, we'll probably only see one of those, mm -hmm. but we'll see other storms. Now, they may be hurricanes, lower level. So let's look back to, say, 2008, 2010, the Great Recession, right? or they might be more like this, this summer thunderstorm that pops yeah. up that causes some issues, but it's more localized, it's shorter duration, it's just not as big a deal. So the idea is that a storm is something external that comes your way. It's something, maybe you see it brewing, maybe it just comes out of left field, but it has a significant effect on your practice or your business. And particularly for our conversation, your ability to incorporate your business development strategy and your tactics. So it requires you to adjust in some way. 
you need to, because of whatever the storm is, if it is not something personal, I'll give you some examples of storms in just a minute, Sure. but you need to find ways to support your clients, your network of allies, your key contacts more effectively because they may have been affected too. Right. see COVID. And of course, you've got to continue building your book of business. If you say, oh no, there's a storm, I can't do anything. That's going to be a big problem. Right. Let me ask you this, Julie, because you and I both work in the legal space. A lot of people listening here might not work in the legal space, but one thing I've learned about attorneys is that they want to maintain a sense of control about their lives. And do you think that that in itself has been a problem for many people that you've consulted to, that here's this external change and just the change itself, that's an issue that they have to really emotionally manage. What are your thoughts about that? I think you've hit the nail on the head, Scott. It it seems to me that when there's a storm, there are really three, either three responses or maybe three stages that people go through. The first one is panic. Oh no, the sky is falling. Everything is different. It's a disaster. Our businesses are going to fail. You know, the, the whole catastrophizing. Right. That's number one. Number two is pretending. And I think this is where a lot of attorneys kind of get stuck, which is, yeah, this is bad, but it's a blip. It's something that we're going to work through. We're going to be able to go back to normal. You know, we like to talk about the new normal. It has a sneaky habit of looking a lot like the old normal, unless we're forced to change, but we can pretend. And the effect of either panicking or pretending is that you're stuck. You're not moving forward, or at least you're not moving forward effectively. The third option is to pivot. And of course, when you pivot, there's a quote that I love from Einstein, which is in the midst of every crisis lies great opportunity. And the pivot is you say, okay, there's an issue. Maybe it's a crisis. Maybe it's just a significant change, but I need to adapt. And I am committed to finding the opportunity. Right. So let me ask you this then. Let's just say that we do find ourselves where there's some sort of external change. And this is one thing that I believe is that we don't know when the next natural or man-made disaster is going to occur, but there will be another one. And we don't know what it is. At the end of every day, there's night. At the end of every summer, there's fall and winter. It's seasonal. There's always cycles. Do you think that people should, or can they be prepared for that next crisis? So should they even worry about that? Should they not even worry about that and just kind of go forward and live their life knowing that they'll adapt at some point when the next big bad thing happens? You know, I think it's actually a combination of the two. Mm -hmm. I don't think that we can be afraid of what is coming next and try to anticipate because, you know, nobody, I actually remember I was planning a conference for the ABA back in January of 20, what was it? 2020. And one of our planning committee members said, Hey, I have a lot of contacts in China and there's this illness that I think we need to be aware of. And the rest of the planning committee members kind of said, Oh, well, that's really interesting, Cindy. Now back to our planning. And of course the conference that was planned for April didn't happen. You often can't see these things coming. You can't anticipate even what kind of crisis it might be. What you can do, though, is to, number one, be scanning. Just keep a lookout. And as you see news about something, is this something that could potentially affect my practice, my business, my business development? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then number two, my approach to business development is that in order to be successful, you have to have a strategy and tactics that are designed specifically for you and your clientele. They're a fit. 
The strategy is something that's probably not going to change significantly just because of the storm, but the tactics do. Right. And so you need to make sure that your strategy is well-drawn and is tight and you need to be scanning so that you can adapt your tactics. If, for instance, there's a lockdown and you had planned to do a lot of speaking, meeting people mm-hmm. at conferences, how do you pivot with that? Right, right. You know, looking back, are there, and you don't have to mention names, of course, but what would you say are the common traits of those people that did well during the crisis? Looking back, like when it happened in March of 2020, and we all know everybody has their own story. I know I was thinking, should I go to that meeting in Philadelphia Tuesday night? Should I go there? Okay, I'll go there. And then should I meet with my client Wednesday at his office? And I'll never forget, I had a meeting with John DeAndre with Fakery Drinker, a good client, a good friend. And we ended up meeting at the restaurant in my hotel because they closed all their offices. They were the first large law firm to shut down all 20 some odd offices. And I was talking with him about that. And it was really interesting to see that this is significant. I remember telling him, I said, that's leadership. Your firm was the first to make a decision. And so, and then we look at and see how it was almost, I think, an evolution, like what you talked about. Everybody panicked. Everybody, some people pretended, I think, because it was so real and because we're dealing with money and people's lives, I think that a lot of the law firms, they may, I don't want to say circumvented that pretending phase, but they had to come with to grips with that hard reality. And then some firms pivoted, some firms didn't. But what would you say are kind of the characteristics of those that did okay, that pivoted earlier on from what your perspective is? What are their common characteristics? So I think number one actually goes to to your point, Scott, about meetings. And do you meet with these people? Where do you meet? It's about relationships. Right. Because when there's a storm of any kind, Your strategy drives your tactics, your tactics drive the pivot, and you need to look at your relationships in order to know how your tactics need to change. So being in touch with your clients, your key contacts, and again, depending on the storm, when it was COVID, when everything was shutting down with clients, perhaps there was a business conversation, most likely there was. With contacts and also with clients, it may have been, how are you? Are all your people together? Can you get Mm -hmm. together? How's Mm -hmm. it going? Having your kid at home and trying to work. Being human, (laughs) having Mm -hmm. those relationship conversations, because that tells you a tremendous amount about how you need to adapt. So that's thing number one. Number two, I think that having sort of an entrepreneurial mindset where you say, look, things have radically changed. Rather than following the attorney principle of stare decisis, status quo, let's keep things on an even keel. That's something we lawyers love to say. Right, sure. How do we need to shift? What are the fundamental underpinnings that have now changed? And how are we going to respond to that? How are we going to get out in front of it? To your point about the firm closing, being the first firm to close, showing leadership. How are we going to stand up and say, not just we're going to cobble together remote working, but we have a system. We have technology that's going to facilitate remote working, not just for our lawyers or our employees, but remote collaboration with our clients since we can't sit down face-to-face. How are we going to do this? So I think it's relationships and that willingness to move, maybe get it wrong, but Mm -hmm. willingness to move sooner rather than later. 
that are the two key factors. That's a good point. What would be other potential storms besides what we've seen with this global crisis and some of the previous ones? Mm -hmm. And I liked how you said that some are different category levels that we can't predict when that next natural or man-made disaster is going to occur. But beyond some of the overarching ones that we've seen, what are some other smaller storms that people in business development need to pay attention to and watch out for? Yeah. So, so first, I want to make a distinction in terms of smaller. It may be smaller globally. If it's happening to you, it's massive. Right. That's a good point. So that's number one. Yeah. Number two, a storm can be something like a change in your practice. It has a significant effect. So say the estate tax repeal, if you are practicing in trust and estates, that is a big, big change mm-hmm. that fundamentally changes what your practice is going to look like. How do you respond to that? Um, in terms of, let's call it the structure of your practice. So to go directly to you, Scott, mm-hmm. if your law firm is undergoing a merger and suddenly you have new capabilities, a storm can be a good thing, right? right. So in terms of different geographic or areas of practice, if you have new capabilities, that's the kind of storm that can just carry you on forward. We've all probably been on a flight that has arrived significantly early because of tailwinds. That's the kind of storm that can really propel you forward if you're ready to go with it. Law firm disillusion, kind of the flip side, it may be a good thing, but you're going to need to deal with it. And then more personal storms. So for instance, if you move to a new region, and your relationships are disrupted. An experience that I had, I had to hit pause on my business for about three years while I cared for my father who was living with dementia. How do you deal with these more personal things? Mm -hmm. Divorce, marriage, children. There's so many different storms and the, the degree of them is going to vary. And also, is it Is it what we think of with a storm? We need to hunker down to some degree and deal with something we don't want, or is there a positive side to it from the get-go? Right, right. So what what would you say then to somebody that's in a leadership role that has to worry about managing a team of people, whether it's a small team of here's a partner with two or three associates and a council, or a law firm leader that has 500 plus attorneys under his or her care in terms of a leadership role? What should that person be doing with their team so that people feel safe, people feel some degree of protection. What do you think they should be keeping top of mind and what action should they take to kind of go forward positively in that regard? So I think they have to be looking at two levels. One is sort of the big vision level. How is whatever is going on changing the way that we approach practice, the way that we work with our clients, the clients we work with, those kind of big questions. Right. I think they also have to be attendant to the relationships. I'm going to go back to relationships over and over because relationships are at the heart of business development. Mm -hmm. And not only looking at the client relationships, but also looking at the people you're leading. With COVID, there were some people who sort of threw up their hands and said, ah, this is just an inconvenience. Let's power through. There were other people who maybe their families had been affected early by COVID. Maybe they had somebody who died. Those are two very different categories. Maybe they had their own health issues and were terribly afraid. You have to be aware of what's going on with your team. And you have to be able to use the vision that you're setting, the way that you're adapting based on whatever's Mm -hmm. going on, and know where your people are so that you can bring those two together and help people find their right ways to keep things moving forward. 
Right. And I think you hit the nail on the head yourself with this, Julie, is that some firms weren't keeping their colleagues top of mind. They weren't leading. When they went through that, they were looking purely at the numbers, purely at how many people do we need to cut to keep the profits at a certain level. And what I found interesting was that this crisis revealed stress cracks that were already in organizations. It just put pressure on them to show that's where the deficits were prior to this. But it also caused some firms to come together. And there are some firms I was so impressed with and so proud of with the stories they told me about. They made cuts, but they made it in a way that showed real leadership. And as a result, the staff stayed. Those are the firms that don't have a lot of turnover. They have people that want to go there because it's more than the money. It's about the meaning. It's about the meaning of being on a team that lives by a certain code and a value system and has a vision. But that's rare, isn't it? Don't you think so? I'm kind of getting motivation. Unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, unfortunately, I do. I I go back to 2008. You know, that was a a unique event because in 2008, when there were the law firm layoffs, there was much more transparency thanks to blogs, the internet, social media. Right. And I think that gave law firms, smart law firms, something to think about. And I think we've seen the way that that's played out thanks to COVID. Right, right. So what do you think are some of the biggest positive surprises that you've seen from this crisis? I think one is a recognition that we can make changes. Again, we lawyers, I'm going to grossly overgeneralize here, but I think it's somewhat fair. We don't like to make change. And Mm -hmm. when we have been forced, I think there are a lot of people who have been surprised that number one, they can change. Number two, it's not as agonizingly painful as they thought it might be. And number three, if they've done it in the right way, by keeping in touch with their clients and their contacts, by letting what they're hearing from those people, what they're hearing from their teams, drive the changes that they're making so that it's all happening in tandem, it comes out really well. And so I think it has given people an understanding that maybe we can even do some of this change stuff without being forced to by external events, which can be huge, can be transformational. That's very insightful, Julie. So let me ask you this then, what would be some action steps? If people are looking to go forward, they want to storm-proof their business development. They want to build that practice and be ready for what's coming in the future. Kind of going into action steps, what would be, let's say, three action steps people can take to get started, kind of integrating some of the ideas that you have? Sure. So number one is be crystal clear about your business development strategy. I'll share my favorite quote. I I don't think I can ever talk about business development without sharing this quote. It is strategy without tactics is the slowest route to victory. Tactics without strategy is the noise before defeat. That's Sun Tzu from The Art of War. Be crystal clear (laughs) about it. Yeah, I knew you'd know it. (laughs) Be crystal clear about your strategy. So that when you see this big change, you know how to adapt your tactics to keep that strategy in line. That's number one. And let me kind of talk about this for a little bit, because just the other night, a chairman of a firm sent me their new strategy, and I was really impressed with that. And I like the fact that it's articulated in a very clear way. It was simple. It was one page. It didn't have to be a monster document. What do you think about that? Do you think that And share a little bit about this. What have you seen in terms of business development strategy from people that have done really well with it? What's been your experience with that? 
Well, I think you're exactly right, Scott. I think that it needs to be simple because your strategy is the high-level vision. It's something that's going to carry you for a long period of time. Mm -hmm. I say at least three to five years at a minimum, maybe longer. And if it's too complex, you're probably building tactics into it. So you're Mm -hmm. not actually talking strategy anymore. If you can't tell somebody what your strategy is in a few sentences, it's too confusing and people won't know exactly what it is. So they'll go out. Let's go back to the second line of that quote I just gave you. Mm-hmm. They'll go out and be doing a lot of stuff, but it won't be coordinated with a clear, easily expressed strategy. Right. And it's just making noise. And so who should be doing this? Is this something that only practice group leaders, office managers, managing partners, partners, associates, who should be writing a strategy? So I think strategy is something that has to happen at each level. Right. If we're talking about a big firm, of course, there, there needs to be a firm-wide strategy. There needs to be a strategy for each area of practice. There needs to be a strategy for each team. There also needs to be a strategy for each attorney. And going back to something I said earlier, the entrepreneurial mindset, every attorney needs to think about his or her practice as his or her own entrepreneurial business. How about that? Uh, (laughs) They need to be, right? That's right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) They need to be on top of it and they need to know where they are taking their practice because you can just float along. You can follow what the bigger, the, the higher level strategies are in the firm. Right. But that's not going to help any individual attorney build his or her practice. Right, right. You have to have your own. So that's good. That's number one. That's our that's our first step. <laughs> What's number two? What's yes. the second action step? Number two is I'm going to go back to it again. Relationships. They're central to business development. Go to your key contacts, to your clients, to your team members. Make sure you know what's going on with them, what they're concerned about. The perennial business development question, what's keeping you up at night? Right. If there's a big crisis going on, I guarantee you, sometimes we don't want to ask that question. It can feel a little oh. hackneyed. Oh, yeah, that's right. In COVID-19, no, that wasn't hackneyed. That was a real question. And knowing the answer to that question lets you know, okay, here's my strategy. Here's what my people are concerned about. How can I adjust what I'm doing so that I'm still meeting that strategy and I'm meeting their areas of concern? Oh, and let me ask you about this in terms of reaching out to them. Is this something that people should have in terms of regular preset connections or should they work it more intuitively in terms of reaching out to people? What do you think? Well, I'm a lawyer, so I'll say it depends. <laughs> <laughs> it's important to have regular contacts. I think that if you're just going along in the ordinary course of business, having a regular schedule of contacts is important. Right. For many people, when something comes up that is as big as COVID, it can be a little bit paralyzing. And especially, I'm, I'm going to talk to and about lawyers here. We tend to be somewhat uncomfortable with this concept of business development. And we don't want to to say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or look like we're trying to take advantage of the situation. I think that does apply across areas of business. But, and so I think a lot of people had almost a freeze moment where they felt, oh, I need to get in touch with my people 
but I don't really know. I mean, what do I say? I don't want to call them and, and ask about this business that may be at a standstill. They may be worrying whether their business is going to survive. I don't want to do that. What do I do? There are some people who intuitively know to pick up the phone and say, how are you? Mm-hmm. If you didn't intuitively know it with COVID, you do know it now. So you can do it the next time. So tell us about number three. What's the third action step? So number three is looking at the categories of your tactics. I'm going to get down into some brass tacks right now. Mm -hmm. And for those of you who want to know more about it, I talk about this extensively in my book, The Reluctant Rainmaker. Tactics really fall into one of three categories. One I call credible visibility. That means that you get to be seen talking about your area of practice or your kind of business. So people who are looking to work with someone like you find you in the places where they would expect to find you. And this is how you build your your professional profile, you build your platform. So if you can't be speaking at conferences, where can you speak? Thank goodness for Zoom. Maybe there there were actually more opportunities thanks to Zoom. So you can just shift that tactic from one forum to another. Expansive influence is growing your network. You need to always be adding people. So if you've relied on face-to-face networking, how do you need to adjust, again, for COVID with the shutdowns, so that you're actually using LinkedIn to meet people and make contacts as opposed to just adding people and then never really doing anything with it, like probably 80% of people on LinkedIn. And then the relationship growth, going back to these conversations. But it's it's looking at the key areas of tactics and then thinking, okay, if this route is shut off because of circumstances, what other routes are open to me? How do I need to do them so that I'm accomplishing the same kind of thing with my tactics and making sure, again, that it matches up with what your people need and it matches up with your strategy? Got it. So the different categories of tactics are credible visibility, growing the network and relationship growth. Is that right? Yes, exactly. And of course, client service, which underlies everything in your practice or your business. Well, Julie, you're a fantastic guest. Tell us about the services that you have. People listening to you today, what do you offer? And we'll certainly put all the links on the show notes, but what are the things you want people to know about what you offer as a consultant and an advisor? Well, thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate that. So my business is Fleming Strategic. We offer one-on-one work with attorneys and sophisticated practices. And going back to what I said, I think in the very beginning of our conversation, it is my belief that business development success requires a strategy and tactics that are designed specifically for you, bespoke. This is not a pick up a strategy and fit it on. Mm -hmm. It'll be a suit that doesn't fit. So I help people figure out what their specifics are. And you can reach out through Fleming Strategic, where you'll find a blog that goes back to something like 2005. We'll put the with link a lot the of discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Thank you. A lot of discussion about this, and I'll be happy to speak with people one on one. And I have just released the third edition of my flagship book, The Reluctant Rainmaker: A Guide for Lawyers Who Hate Selling. As I was telling you earlier, Scott, I released the first edition right at the time of the Great Recession. <laughs> so it seemed appropriate to release the third at the time of, of COVID and all there of you that go. fallout. And people can find that on Amazon. That's great. And we'll put that link on the show notes also. 
Thank you. Well, Julie, thank you for being a guest on the show. You're amazing. I love your content. I've gotten a lot out of it. And I know the listeners have also. We'll certainly bring you back on here in the future. And thanks again for being on our show today, Julie. Well, thanks so much, Scott. I love your questions. You ask great questions. I really enjoyed our time together. Great. Me too. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Rainmaking Podcast. For more information about our recruiting services for international law firms, visit our website at attorneysearchgroup.com. To inquire about having Scott speak at your next convention, conference, sales meeting, or executive retreat, visit therainmakingpodcast.com.